Thank you for joining us for this inaugural episode of Particulate Matters. This is our podcast series on environmental justice, and we speak with people who do amazing work in the field of the environment, environmental health, environmental justice, health equity, and so on. Today, we are so pleased to speak with Heather Carey, the CEO of Food as Medicine Global. She is currently, as we speak, running a conference, her inaugural conference on food as medicine at foodasmedicine.global. I hope you enjoy this discussion. I hope that you'll join the event. To learn more about us, visit publichealthpodcasters.com. We are pleased to invite you to the second People's Public Health Conference. We had over 500 registrations last year, and we are so excited to continue to grow this movement of community-based public health. Whether you have a public health degree or not, we invite you, if you care for communities, you care for community health, if you are a part of the promotores community, or if you are part of community health workers, working in the field of public health and so on, this is our community-based, bottom-up version of the larger public health conferences that are out there. This is our conference where we speak about calls to action. We share actual practical examples of events taking place and actions taking place to serve the public good in our communities, the people that we serve, the people that we love. So to learn more, visit thepeoplespublichealth.org. And it is being led again by the Autoimmune Community Institute, which is our organization dedicated to autoimmune health equity. So we invite you to begin preparing your abstracts for submission. And it is taking place again this year, November 2nd to the 4th. We hope you'll join us. Today we are speaking with Heather Carey. She is the founder and CEO of Food as Medicine Global. And we've been friends for gosh, maybe a decade. We met at a health impact assessment conference in DC many years ago. <laughs> yep, in Washington, DC. Yeah. So we've been great friends ever since then. And so I'm really excited about your new nonprofit and I'm just really excited to share the work that you're doing and the upcoming events. Welcome, Heather. Thank you, April. It's so lovely to be with you. And I just want to say, first off, part of um, my courage in co-founding this nonprofit was inspired by you and the and and the the autoimmunity community nonprofit that you started, and just watching you from the beginning of that and growing all of the beautiful initiatives that you put forth was very inspiring to me and gave me the courage to leave a job and and do a similar kind of thing. So um, thank you for that. Thank you, Heather. And and I I will not cry. I'm I'm highly yeah. on steroids right now, so I'm very emotional. <laughs> but um, yeah, autoimmune stuff, treatments. Um, but thank you, Heather. That means a lot. And I'm so grateful and so excited for you for the work that you are doing. You, you've always, you know, I, since I've known you, you've done such great work for nonprofit organizations, integrative health. Um, I'm really excited to see this next chapter that you're in now with Food as Medicine Global. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Tell us more about you. Yeah. Let's Let's start out with your public health background, your here. Oh my gosh. And I heard that you were doing some documentary training. Tell me more. Oh, sure. Yeah. So I, I did do some documentary training. I moved to Durham, North Carolina uh, back in 2007 
for one year and I did a documentary uh, studies program in Durham at the Center for Documentary St Studies at Duke University. And that was an amazing experience. Um, mainly leaving the Northwest and living in Durham was a great experience because honestly, it's the first time I ever lived in a neighborhood that was integrated. Like there was just such a mix of people and it felt very international and it made me realize how segregated Seattle is. And um, the because Duke University is in Durham, where there's a lot of diversity and there's a lot of poverty, it's it's a very mixed area. The, the, the focus of the program really was on equity and social justice. And that really appealed to me and I learned a lot. And that was very helpful in many ways. I'm not doing too much with that now, but perhaps someday we'll get back to that again. Um, but yeah, um, public health has always, if I was younger, I'd probably go back and get an MPH because I do have master's degrees in health policy and law, which has been very connected to public health. And as you mentioned, you and I met at a health impact assessment conference in DC. I still remember that table we were sitting at where we, our small group, where we were talking about different ways to create health impact assessments and what that really meant. And I immediately fell in love with that because I love the idea of creating a project that looked at the health impact of policies and plans and how you can take that and bring it to legislators to really help them to understand the impact on people and communities and populations. And uh, so that was that was a really informative time of my life. And, and then as life led, led on, I went into working at Bastyr University as the director of their Center for Health Policy Leadership and did a lot of advocacy work for the natural health professions um, but always stay connected to the public health initiatives through my membership with the APHA and also with students at Bastyr who they had, Bastyr had just launched a public health degree program. And there was a group of students who really wanted to work in underserved populations and they wanted to combine their public health background with their natural, their naturopathic medicine training or their acupuncture training. And those students tended to gravitate towards my office and we did all these projects together and I was really happy to be able to stay involved. And about a year and a half ago, a colleague, I am the co-founder of Buddhist Medicine Global. The idea came from uh, a dear colleague, Beth Rosenthal, who I had known for years and years and years. She had, I met her at an American Public Health Association meeting back in 2015 in Chicago. I hope I have the year right. Pretty sure it was 2015 in Chicago. And we had met at a meeting at the American Public Health Association, a big conference, and we remained colleagues and friends and have worked on different projects over the years. And she came to me with this idea that someday she wanted to create an organization where we would bring the medicine people together with the agriculture people, with the farmers and the food producers to really address some of the world's most pressing problems. Because 
many of our current world challenges do have a common root, and that is the way food is produced, accessed, processed, controlled, and consumed. And we really wanted to create an organization that didn't duplicate what other organizations were doing, but that we could be kind of a network, an amplifier. Because Beth and I both had deep roots in the integrated medicine world and the natural health professions and public health, she has an, an MPH too, and so she's been involved with public health for a long time. We were making the connections of, it's not just enough to tell people to eat healthy or to just give nutritional advice because it's not always that easy for people. There is such a complexity of, can you access the food? How is the food that's supposedly healthy or organic, how is it grown? Is it really in healthy soil? Like making the connection between soil, food, access, climate crisis. There's just so many pieces to this that we really wanted to bring together this global network of the farmers, the subsistent hunters, the foragers, the healers, the hospitalists, the academics, um, really amplify the message that this is all connected and that we all have a part to play in this, like bringing all the stakeholders together and, and inspiring each other because there is work all over the world being done in these areas. I've identified 185 organizations right now, and I know I've just like scratched, you know, just a little bit of the surface. There are so, so much good work being done on the community level. And we uh, created a resource directory so that we could start. It's free. It's free to organizations to be part of it. It's free to the public. That was one of the first things we did is to really get the word out about all the good work that's being done locally because we can start to feel overwhelmed by all of these with climate crisis and food shortages and our health issues. And it was really inspiring to me to see all of the local initiatives and community-led projects that were really making impact. And we wanted to amplify and get the word out about so people can get inspired by each other and maybe replicate it in their own communities and feel hopeful. Mm -hmm. Hope is a really important theme in the conversation. I think, Heather, as we spoke earlier about the organization, and uh, you told me a little bit more about what you've been working on and the background and the story. You know, for me, thinking about environment, environmental justice, so much of it is very gloomy. You know, um, so much of it is where we see this forecast where, like, we have this, what, doomsday clock and things like that, right? Yeah. And so I really appreciated our uh, offline conversation. I think we can talk more about it. Uh, in terms of hope, because, you know, to me, it felt like sometimes like a lost cause. Like if I go to the supermarket, it's owned by what, four different main, like, you know, gigantic corporations. If I'm eating food, I have zero knowledge of what type of soil quality, or if like everything is like just doomed to have like particulate, like pieces of plastic, microplastics in it. And you shared some really hopeful information with me about this. Well, I thank you. I'm trying to stay hopeful too. It is hard sometimes when you read about 
the microplastics is a huge problem in our food and our water and it's hard to get away from it. I mean, just, I spent four months being successful and being zero waste, like not, it, it, and this was a while back when my son was young and we just made this commitment, we were gonna do it. And at the time I had given up cars because I didn't wanna be driving because of the environment. We rode our bikes all over Seattle and for four months we did not make any garbage. And I know how to do it. I, I know how, you know, we lived without plastic. You know, like all of the plastic was out of our house for the most part. I mean, there's just some things that we couldn't get rid of, but we didn't get any more of them. And I know it can be done, but I also know that I, my privilege had something to do with that because I was living in a neighborhood in Seattle where we had a co-op right down the street and living in Seattle where there's a, there was already a movement towards this. Like, so there was support and it would, you know, I had a job and I was a teacher. I was off in the summer. So I was able to do that. You know, it takes time because you have to pretty much, you have to make everything from scratch and you bring your own stainless steel container into the co-op and you get your tofu or whatever, you know, like if there is a way to do it, but it's, it takes so much effort. And if I was somebody who had to work 10 hours a day or didn't live in a neighborhood like that, it would be really difficult. So how do we, how do we get away from plastic? It's really going to take us all helping each other and, and empowering neighborhoods who are doing that on their own to have it not be so hard, like be supportive and just change the social norm around our relationship with food. I mean, it's happening. You hear people talking about food a lot um, and things are changing. Even urban farming is going on. I've been, we have a conference coming up in three weeks from now, the first Food is Medicine Global Conference. And I'll tell you, I'm so inspired by these speakers. They're probably people, you, a lot of them you've never heard of, but they're just doing this work that is so impactful. One of our speakers, uh, well, a few of them work for the Brooklyn Grange, which is this huge rooftop farm. And it's so beautiful. Like I saw an aerial uh, drone footage of, there is this huge farm on top of these high buildings in New York City and Brooklyn, and they're providing food to immigrants and really increasing access because fresh food is not always accessible to every neighborhood. And when you were talking about the environmental justice piece, I was just listening to a podcast yesterday from one of our speakers, Mary Purdy, who's an eco-dietitian, and she was talking about the environmental impact of the sugar industry and what it did to all of the small countries that had the sugar industry opposed upon them, the slavery and the environmental degradation and all of that for a product that is does not benefit us. It's it's just so, I mean, so we're, we, we really damage the environment for another country, another community and the burning of the cane, you know, all of the problems it caused for people with their breathing and, and cancer and all of that for a product that does not contribute to our health, it damages it. So just like the, the insanity of that um, is, is just such a wake up call 
once again, people who are most vulnerable are often the ones that are impacted by industrial farming. In this country and other countries, they're the people who don't always have the resources to stop it. Mm -hmm. And they're impacted by, and the poor animals. Mm -hmm. I'm not a, I'm not, I'm no longer a vegan. I was for a while. I, mm -hmm. our organization does not subscribe to any one type of eating. It's mm -hmm. more about getting access to nourishing food and food sovereignty, mm -hmm. which really, when we first started this, I almost felt like, are we being too radical by using the word food sovereignty and health justice? Um, and then just decided it's okay. We have to be radical. <laughs> if it's radical, it's, it's okay. And I really love the La Viet Campesina's definition of food sovereignty, which is food sovereignty is the right of peoples to healthy and culturally appropriate food produced through sustainable methods and the right to define their own food and agriculture systems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And thank you, Heather, because that's actually the next um, topic I wanted to bring up, the cultural aspect. And I really respect your organization, your perspective on the fact, as we spoke earlier again, about not particularly um, enforcing a my dog um not enforcing, he wants my breakfast um not enforcing any specific diet and being very culturally aware of the circumstances that people are living with like you mentioned not everyone will have access to healthy foods and have the options to live without plastics because sometimes that's all there is in terms of where they can get their food um and so on. There, there are just so many um, cultural and circumstantial social determinants uh, circumstances that um, you know, we really can't, you know, that we really, it's it's beneficial for us to be mindful of and, and open to hearing about and, and um, conscious of. So I really appreciated that part of our discussion recently offline as well. So those are kind of the two main themes that really emerged, this like sense of hope that there are things that are being done, and we'll talk more at, about the conference. Um, and then also the fact that your organization and your perspective is very culturally open, culturally aware of the diversity and the complexity of how we can uh, live in a sustainable way. Yeah, I, early on, a very dear friend of mine who is the executive director of Save Our Wild Salmon He's been there 29 years at this nonprofit, you know, working to save salmon. And when I first started this organization, he asked me, he said, because we just, we were saying unite agriculture and medicine. And he said, well, when you're talking about agriculture, what do you mean by that? Because we work with a lot of uh, the tribal uh, organizations around salmon issues and the fishers, you know, the people who are fishing. And, and so we started thinking about that. And of course, like when we're, when we're talking about agriculture, we've really broadly defined it to mean a diversity of food ways, the farmers, the foragers, the wild crafters, the subsistence hunters, um, ranchers, wild crafters, the forest producers, the pastoralists, the people who, you know, are the shepherds. That's how we're thinking of agriculture, because it's, 
culturally appropriate food is so important. Like people knew how to eat. People, people knew what was good for them. And I think colonization and industry has tried to try, they succeeded in taking away, like with the killing of all the buffalo in here and um, the Americas. And it's, it's, you know, it's tragic history, but you see communities are working to change that. Mm -hmm. They want their culturally appropriate food. Um, the mm -hmm. Kitchenistas are another really inspiring group to me. Oh, the Kitchenistas? Uh, kitchenistas, um, just south of where you live, uh, National City. Close um, by. Close by, close by, yeah. Um, I, when I was in San Diego for graduate uh, studies, I visited Olivewood Gardens Learning, Olivewood Gardens and Learning Center several times and was fortunate enough to be at the opening of the Kitchenistas movie and experience their food. And what I was most drawn to was the fact that these were mostly women who were empowering themselves with their old traditional recipes and just tweaking them to be what we consider maybe more nutritional. What, what could help them to keep themselves healthy? And they were doing it with each other, like they were teaching each other. And oh my gosh, the food is so delicious. Mm. <laughs> and they have a beautiful kitchen there. And they really, really inspired me. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, my husband, you know, he he's really into history and he just loves talking about, you know, the, the foods that we're eating. And he's just really into like, oh, you know, we're eating the beans and the corn today. And he's just really into that stuff. And so, yeah, talking about what's regional, what's what we grew up with for generations. And um, yeah, like you mentioned also um, previously about, you know, the types of foods that are being offered to people, making sure that they are culturally appropriate. Uh, and even adding on to that, the public health, um, global health movement, a lot of that colonial process is something that we need to continue to take apart, right, to kind of um, unpack and address and correct um, the fact that, you know, scholars don't have all the answers to what, um, you know, underrepresented communities should be eating, right? We often had you know, history, centuries, thousands of years of knowing how to eat well, right? And, you know, Hispanic paradox and so many things like that, where we find that people who lived and are from other countries actually are eating better than when they are living in the United States, right? So there's just so much to discuss on that. Yes, it's um, been quite a learning process for me. When I was involved with health impact assessments, I was taking a health impact assessment course at University of Washington through their public health program. And I remember I was going out to do this community health assessment and I went out with my clipboard and I was interviewing you know, community members and it was just humbling and uncomfortable because I immediately felt the impact of this white person who's privileged enough to be in this graduate program, to be going into a community. And even though I was being as respectful as possible, it really, I just felt like there was something wrong with it. Like there was something about me going into their community 
And we know as public health people, like this is part of what you have to do. But interesting, it led me to discover something else that's in your neighborhood, which is a resident leadership academy. I don't know if you're familiar with this organization, but their, their founder came and talked to uh, our class and he was talking about how, even though he's a black man, because he was well-educated, he felt uncomfortable doing just what I was talking about. Like as a public health person, he had to go into these neighborhoods and he said he felt really uncomfortable uh, with it. So he created this uh, program to teach community members to do that for themselves, like so that they could impact policy. And it's a very huge program now in San Diego, this Resident Leadership Academy. I'm a huge fan of it. And I, I hope that they're, that ha these pop up all over the country because the work they're doing to empower communities to create their own gardens and to have the knowledge of like how policy works so that they can be the ones you know, writing the reports and then reporting on themselves and not having to have, you know, people come into their communities. That was really inspiring to me and probably impacted what I'm doing today because I think about that a lot. We are not an organization to tell anyone what to do or how to do it. We're really about amplifying those unheard voices because we had connections in the integrated medicine world and we had been working like, this is something I thought was really, well, and Beth too, we, we thought it was really missing in our circles is that those unheard voices, a lot of times we're, we're really highlighting the experts, what we call experts, like the celebrity type doctors and, and really, I mean, somebody who I've learned so much from is Erica Allen, who is the founder of Urban Growers Collective in Chicago. And she, when before launching Food is Medicine Global, I was the executive director of Integrative Medicine for the Underserved, and which was I'm so felt so privileged to be able to be in that position for a year and a half. And at our 2021 conference, uh, Erica Allen and Dr. Gita Maker-Clark did a presentation on the impact on BIPOC communities and what is really the root cause of food insecurity, the racism, the colonization, and they really broke it down. And, and then what they're doing, how they're working with children in school and how they've created this urban gardening program. And I was so inspired by them. I thought, wow, they're really doing the work. And that was a big part of why I wanted to focus on food. I also am a former farmer. I, I had, I moved to where I live now, which is a rural area to farm. I left Seattle because we had taken every inch of the house yard that I was renting. Um, we took out the parking strip and planted the three sisters. We took every bit of lawn out and created food gardens in our little Seattle much, much to the uh, displeasure of the landlord. <laughs> he did not really like that I was doing that. But anyway, um, we grew we grew so much food over the three and a half years that I lived in the house. We had chickens and um, we moved to a rural area to farm because I just really loved farming. And I had the great honor of serving as the farmer's market manager for our small community here and wow. got to know more farmers and I did that for three different years. 
And then I created a farm-based education program for children. And we had our program on a farm next to a forest and farming and food has really been important to me. And so it's been really a joy to, and hard work, you know, starting a nonprofit, as you know, is a lot of work. And I also have a second job. I work as a researcher to keep food on my table here too. And uh, it feels good to be back connecting with the farmers and the food people that I used to spend so much time with and then bringing in all the health people too and the public health. It's just been a nice mix. I feel so honored to be doing this work. Really, it's, it's a blessing. It's beautiful work. Thank you so much, Heather. I'm really excited. And I'm, again, I'm just really impressed and really just, um, I don't even know the word. Just, I'm just so happy. <laughs> I'm just so, I, I don't have the word for it right now. Maybe you can help me find the word. It's like, I'm happy and I'm grateful. And I'm just so excited that you have started this organization. Um, I really love the story, the backstory. I love the pillars that you've mentioned on cultural awareness and uh, sustainability and gardening and everything, food sovereignty that you mentioned. There are just so many beautiful aspects of the work that you're doing. And so, um, yeah, whatever we can do to continue to support you, partner with you, uh, let me know. Um, you're doing some great work in Particulate Matters podcast really is excited to have you um, as part of our episode series today. Um, if you could tell us a little bit, maybe, you know, briefly, like, about the linkages, just just to continue to, like, you know, clear that through. Um, the linkages between food as medicine and environmental justice, what linkage would you say maybe in, you know, a couple of sentences? are there sure yeah um and i mentioned this a little bit before is that so much of food industry the impact of industrial farming fishery and all of that has an environmental impact and the people who are usually most impacted are vulnerable populations communities marginalized communities because they don't have the resources or the means to say no you can't do this in our neighborhood. Yeah. It's forced upon them. Yeah. And the, that, that piece is heartbreaking. And it's been going on for hundreds of years, sadly. That's the piece that I see communities are changing for themselves. They are speaking up and saying no. And people are becoming more of, aware of the injustice of having certain communities impacted by this industrial farm model, industrial agriculture model, overfishing and all of that. Um, so yeah, it's a travesty and the climate crisis is also another example of that. Like I just, I heard, I learned this from Mary, Mary Purdy's podcast too, is that a third of the emissions, the, the emissions that cause are causing climate crisis change, whatever you want to call it, come from agriculture, mm. agricultural industry. And 
then you think about who's being impacted the most, like where the flooding is happening, the small islands, the countries that are already impacting it are usually less resourced, mainly because their resources have been stolen from them and historically, they're getting impact first by this. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, these are big problems. I, I don't see Food as Medicine Global being able to necessarily, we're not trying to solve all this, but we're really trying to highlight what communities are doing to, yeah. to make things better in their own communities, which contributes to a better world. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I one of our keynote speakers, Asha Omar, she's in Malawi and she has she's overseeing this permaculture site that's connected to a women's health center. And, oh, so beautiful what they're doing. The, the connection between the soil, the growing of the food and women's health and just creating this beautiful nurturing environment. I remember when I went back to school about 10 years, you know, right about the time when you and I met, I had this vision that all health centers would be connected to farms, mm -hmm. like bi biodynamic farms, like really healthy farms that were not just monocrops. They were, you know, where there's orchards and there's chickens and there, you know, I, I probably had this utopian vision of all health centers could be connected because you see the healing that takes place when people are working with the soil, when they're in the kitchen together. Like when you when you watch the kitchenistas film and you see them on the kitchen together, or I know myself when I'm having dinner parties and um, having people over when we're making food together, just so much joy is created. And that contributes to your health positively, just being connected to nature, being connected to other people. So there's, yeah, so I, I thought that would be the model. And then I see it's happening in Malawi. Like I, there's very few examples of it here in the United States. There are a few. There are some community health centers now that are connected to farms, which is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Hope that continues. So anyway, we want, we want to amplify those stories so people can be inspired because I'm hoping somebody will see what's going on in Malawi and go, yes, let's do this in San Francisco or Florida or Cuba or, you know, somewhere else, just in other places that we can all inspire each other. And, and once again, feel, feel hopeful, hopeful with action. You know, I, I read an article about 20 years ago about hope being a good excuse to not do anything, you know, just feel hopeful without, mm. um, it was in Orion magazine. I'll have to pull that out, but yeah, you can't use hope as an excuse to not do anything, mm -hmm. you know, just to sit back and be hopeful. But I think when you take hope and you combine it with, with action and intention and community, positive impact can happen. So on my best days, I'm feel, feeling hopeful and I've still got this utopian dream in my head about what the world could be like. And, you know, on other days, I feel less hopeful and worry. But um, yeah, but yeah. a lot of what you're mentioning is actually very practical. It, it is very actionable. A community health center connected to 
you know, a farm or a garden, there is nothing that is stopping people from doing that. Like that's very possible. It's beautiful to see people turning parking lots into farms. That happened here in Seattle. There was a parking lot that was just turned into a community garden. And um, that is just, that's very inspiring, very, very hopeful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So tell us, okay, we're going to talk about the conference now. Okay, so I'm really excited. And so let's let's go into this. Who's there? Who's going to be speaking? Um, tell us more and how, yeah, we, can, how sure. we can sign up. Sure. Um, so the conference is just three weeks away. And we put out a call for proposals back in the fall. And it's been really amazing to see who showed up. I, I've been meeting with all of the different presenters over the last couple of weeks. We're doing like quick rehearsals to make sure we're all tech savvy enough and all of that. And the question uh, for the people who I don't know very well is, how did you find us? It's always interesting because we have such a diversity of topics and people. We have speakers, uh, speakers from Malawi, speakers from Brazil, uh, speakers from Mexico, speakers from New Zealand and all around the United States. So it's, it, it really is a diversity. And there are uh, quite a few indigenous uh, speakers that are have such a beautiful message to share with us that I feel honored that they're gonna be part of this conference. We have a couple of teams, like I said, the Brooklyn team that are doing the farming for immigrants. And there's also a team from Georgia that are, a team of health professionals and farmers who are all working together to support their community. And it started off, I thought we were just gonna have a two day event. We're doing it virtually to be equal friendly. I just in good conscience cannot encourage people to fly on a plane when we're in this climate crisis. No judgment on anyone who's flying that, you know, but I just couldn't, we couldn't do it as an organization. So we kept it virtual, eco-friendly, and also it just, it's more accessible that way. I don't, I was at your public health, your people's public health, and boy, April, you did such a great job. I mean, getting oh, over 500 you. people, and it was so inspiring, and that's the beauty of, I, I know it's not the same as being in person. I get that, but it's pretty darn close. And the trade-off of, you know, having it be more accessible to people, more affordable, I think that's that's worth it. And so this is a virtual conference. Mm -hmm. It's in a, a little community site that where you can interact with each other. It was going to be a two-day event, but we had so many good proposals that it turned into, we added a third day and then we added a fourth day. So it's a four day event and it um, starts on May 18th and we have two film screenings. We are film screening the film, The Kitchenistas and there's gonna be a panel discussion with the filmmaker and Twyla Casador who is featured in the film and then also Dr. Sabrina Falquier who is in your, she's in San Diego too. And she's the the co-founder, the founder of Sensation Salou. She works as a faculty member at Bastyr, and she was featured in the film too. So it's big San Diego presence there. They're going to do a panel discussion, and then we're also 
screening the documentary called Gather. And that is, I've seen it several times now, and it's just so beautiful. And Twyla Casador, who is an indigenous food sovereignty, uh, food forager, uh, lovely person who was featured in the, the film, she's going to be doing a keynote the next day after that. And uh, we have Mariah Gladstone. She's the creator and owner of Edigia Kitchen. She's going to be in her presentation is called A Recipe for Resilience. And she's going to be talking about her indigenous roots and how she puts that into cooking. And she's going to do a cooking demo. We uh, have Dr. Patricia Stantall-Clark, who is a medical doctor and a minister and a native healer. And she's going to be doing a presentation on plant people. Uh, we have uh, uh, Stephen Lucky, who is the founder of Gardopia Gardens in San Antonio, Texas. And wow, the work they're doing, they're an urban farm, garden, and community-led initiative to get healthy food to people. And he has a nutrition background too. And so he'll be talking about how that's all working and um, Mary Purdy, who I mentioned earlier, eco dietitian, who's just always been an inspiration to me. She's going to be talking about climate smart food, nourishing people and planet. We have uh, Dr. Vivian Camacho, who's from Bolivia. That's another country represented. Uh, she's uh, director of ancestral medicine and interculturality and the health ministry of Bolivia. And she'll um, be giving a beautiful presentation. I've heard her speak before about um, the connection between food and health and what's happening in the world. And, and many others, we have acupuncturists, naturopathic doctors, uh, farmers, public health folks. Um, Gabriel Aladua, he's a former farm worker who lives in Canada, who is originally from one of the, oh my gosh, I can't, is it from Trinidad? He's from one of the islands and I can't think of which one it is. I'm reading his book right now. And anyway, he's an activist now and he's gonna be talking about the injustices that happen to farm workers. Mm. So I'm really looking forward to that. We have um, a group talking about food as medicine, group medical visits. Um, we have Dr. Ta Tamara Soma, who's um, from Canada. She's a professor and she's gonna be talking about food waste, which is, another big part of it. And mm -hmm. um, Dr. Jessica Hutchings from New Zealand, who is gonna be, she's a, a indigenous food sovereignty advocate. And she's gonna be talking about food for hope and well-being. Mm -hmm. There's a group of students who are gonna be talking about what they're doing at their college campus to address food insecurity. So it's, there's, it's a nice blend of some people talking about traditional food as medicine like how to be healthier through food kind of thing and then uh, several people talking about more justice focused um, issues um, mm -hmm. so it's I think it's going to be really um, think of it kind of as my dream conference although you know all these people I mean some people we invited and I recruited them because I knew them but a lot of people were totally new to me and I'm just so grateful that they, and my dear friend, Melina Meza, who is just an incredible yoga teacher and foodie. We used to have a healthy food 
catering business together uh, oh. about 20 years ago. Wow. She's going to do uh, these stretch breaks. Uh, I think she's doing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's she's in between sessions. She's going to be doing some stretch breaks so people can move around. And she's also an Ayurvedic health educator. She's an author and her presence in the conference is going to be very beautiful. And we have somebody from Save Our Wild Salmon too coming to talk about all the things that are happening with salmon right now about trying to get the dams to be shut down and all of that. There's a lot of great work being done around that. So um, anyway, it's re it's very mixed, very diverse. And all of the sessions will be recorded. Uh, we, You can sign up on our website. And yeah, we welcome everyone. And we have scholarships for farm workers. We have funding for scholarships for integrative medicine practitioners. and. If anyone wants to come to the conference and there's a financial barrier, we have a sliding scale membership and all that, but they can contact us. And we just want to make sure everybody's able to attend that wants to be there. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It's so exciting to hear from the student level all the way up to like these, you know, government organizations across the world, around the world who are going to be represented at your conference. This is going to be really exciting just to be able to hear from the community in just different, so many different aspects globally about what's going on and the innovative work, the um, exciting work, innovative and creative work that's being done. I'm really excited. Yay. I know me too. You know, I get wrapped up in the details of organizing this all. And then when I stand back and look at it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is going to be really, really beautiful. And uh looking forward to it yeah it's gonna be a beautiful event so let's um you know tell me uh tell us your website it's foodasmedicine.global is that correct yeah, yeah that's correct foodasmedicine.global and, and then the link to the conference will just and we can find it on the site sure yeah there's a there's a tab that says 2023 conference and you can click on that and you can see there's a page for registration there's the schedule there's a page for that shows you all the conference presenters there's a page for scholarship opportunities somebody wants to be a sponsor we're still open to sponsorships we have some really good sponsors and we're open to more it's um it's not a continuing medical education we're not offering cme for it because we have such a diversity of attendees right now when i was looking at who's registered for the who's registered for the conference it's really a mix of farmers uh, health practitioners, public health people, consumers, academics, and doing a CME event can be costly and also a little bit prohibitive. You have all these criteria you have to fill, and we just decided that we're going to give certificates to people after the conference, and if they can use it for their continuing education, great, but we just wanted to, you know, we're a very small organization, and we just wanted to keep our costs we have a tiny tiny budget and so we decided to to not pursue that accreditation specifically and um mm -hmm. that yeah. makes sense yeah you know similar to our organization we're small but very mighty right we can do small so many mighty <laughs> yeah yeah well small you are my inspiration april and just talking to you today i i feel um 
reinvigorated too, because as you get closer to a conference, you start to get a little tired <laughs> until like maybe the day of, and just talking to you today, I feel really energized and you're always so inspiring. And I just appreciate all you contribute to the health equity world and Oh, thank yeah, you, them, Heather. Yeah, the world a better place. Yeah, thank you. And I'm just really grateful that we've met, what, good 10 years ago. And you're continuing to do the great work of health equity, um, sharing the beauty of sustainability, culture, and uh, public health. You, you don't need the MPH. You're doing, <laughs> you're doing the work. And so I'm just so grateful uh, isn't she wonderful, audience? Uh, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Particulate Matters, Heather. Um, just, again, very grateful for the work that you're doing. Thank you, April. It's been an absolute pleasure to be with you. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you.